everyone, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of the Control Systems Cybersecurity Association International, or as we call it, just CSE. CSE is a 501c6 nonprofit workforce development association dedicated to helping grow, support, and sustain the professionals charged with the cybersecurity of control systems. We're specifically talking about those systems that have pumps and valves and actuators, real cyber to physical moving parts, and control nearly every aspect of our modern connected industries. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. It is my hope you find it inspirational or motivating or revealing or informative, and perhaps at times even a little entertaining. Take care and be well. Hi, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA podcast show. And I've got another uh, great guest today uh, talking about his personal uh, journey uh, in cybersecurity and an OT cybersecurity and how he ended up where he is today. I've got Omar Sharin, partner at Ernst & Young Digital Solutions and Cybersecurity and the former cybersecurity director for OT uh, for them and uh, a regional leader. We'll talk about uh, his region of the world and the kinds of things he's been working on as part of our interview. Welcome to the show, Omar. Thanks a lot, Dick, and uh, it's great to, to be with you today. Well, I, I have to thank you for uh, for doing also being on um, uh, one of our symposium panels and then doing a solo event, uh, diving sort of deeper into prepping for the World Cup, which I know we'll get to today again in a little more, in a yeah. little detour. But so thank you for for really, um, in the last 90 days, you've been really helpful to our uh, our association and community, and uh, thank you for that. No, no, absolutely. Uh, pleasure to, to be with you in this great initiative and um, always uh, appreciating the chance to to connect with the with the fellow cyber uh, leaders and um, the community and uh, always a pleasure. Well, if you don't know Omar uh, professionally, he's also, in addition to being a technologist and an OT cyber leader, he's a founder. Uh, he is a father. He is a scuba diver. I always love to check that one off on my personal yeah. interest list. And he's a lover of cars and motorcycles and uh and a world traveler so um omar why don't we go back as i always like to do to uh the your origin story you know cybersecurity people yeah. are, are a form of superhero so uh where did you uh where'd you grow up where are you from so i am originally from alexandria egypt it's a city in the um in the northern uh north of africa just on the mediterranean so i grew up in a fantastic weather um sea and uh a nice seafood. That's that's where the scuba diving comes from. Um, enjoy uh, enjoyed uh, growing up on uh, a, a lovely lovely community. So uh, I'm trying to go there back as much as I can. So I really enjoyed my my early childhood. And then uh, my father uh, took a job uh, in Europe, and um, we ended up uh, living in Germany for a few years. And also that really diversified my my view of the world and uh, how things. Um, happen outside my original uh, back uh, background. He was in the military, and um, of course that got me closer to to the security topic in general, um, and and how geopolitics and how things work, and that really uh, led me to to cyber eventually. Where where did you end up in Europe? Uh, in Germany. So yeah, we uh, he was a diplomat, and we were in Germany for a few years. Yeah. Okay, um, so um, let's talk then about you know any interest in in technology. I mean, I, I get that idea of sort of security being something the family understood, probably due to the nature yeah. of the type of, of, of work your, your dad was doing. Was there a technology interest early on? I mean, what did you think about before you graduated? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I grew up just like any other kid, you know, playing games and playing with my computer, trying to set up my own games. At that time, there was no click and guide kind of thing. You needed to code your stuff and you needed to play with the 
with the system configurations to get the sound blaster to work and to get the uh, the you know the Vega to to work properly and all of those th settings. So growing up with that, I really became uh, a fan of technology, and um, I can immediately uh, see how this will eventually be my career. I, I saw that from the beginning, but I was not sure where exactly in technology. I, I would not lie and tell you that I knew exactly end up being do be doing, but uh, uh, I knew that it was has something to do with technology. Uh, there was no cyber in my on my horizon at that time. I was like maybe eight years, nine years. And um, but I think as we will progress in this session today, uh, you will I, I will try to explain how I ended up in that track. That sounds good. And so you went to you went to a science and technology academy, a university. Yes. And yes. they had maritime maritime in the name in the name as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a university uh, in my hometown where um, it uh, they have a fa faculty for engineering, of course. And I went for um, computer engineering. So I'm a computer engineer. Uh, I have a bachelor's degree in, uh, in computer engineering, um, but they also have a maritime section and navigation and satellite communication and all of that. So really, that was also very interesting for me. And I think that's where I started to connect with the topic of cyber and really understand what it means. I think two, two main incidents happened in my life that really uh, triggered that uh, momentum. So when I was in university, uh, probably at 19 years old, um, I am a big fan of sports. I, I love playing football. Uh, that's soccer for you guys, but it's it's called football. And uh, and uh, and I was um, I'm a big fan. And uh, I set up uh, one of the very first websites in the in the Middle East uh, about sports and football and uh, fantasy football. And at that time, it I managed to really get around 300,000 subscribers. That was in the early 90s, like 1999, wow. 1998. So it was massive success for me. I was like 19 years old and uh, I was I having this huge database of customers and traffic and I was really sucked into it. Were you worried then, about the, uh, the PII? Uh, and, and, uh... Uh, it, I, I'm coming to that. So <laughs> I, one day, one day I got a request from someone to sell that database of usernames and emails and passwords for uh, half a dollar a user. And it was like, at that time, $150,000. And uh, it's, of course, a massive number for, for a kid like me. So I, I went to, to my dad. For a 19-year-old yeah. right now today. Yeah, exactly. So it's, You're talking a few decades ago. That, that's a big, yeah, big yeah. number. That's a really, really big number. Because at that time, there was no there was no huge data leaks or no huge data dumps. And there was no such, there was not so many big websites uh, around, the, around the, the region. So to have a database of 300,000 people was really a pot of gold maybe for some from for some organized crime or whatever if that guy uh, was part of any i ended up talking to my my dad and he's into you know electronic warfare so he's he really understands technology from a, his military background yeah. so i asked him about this and i told him should i sell it what what you know what, i can be you know i can pay for my college fees and all of that he told me it's not yours to sell and I think really that really struck me hard. And, and I really understood that information is going to be very valuable. And it's a, it's a big responsibility uh, if you have that information. And if you just put a simple rule of logic into this, you will end up making the right decision. So I ended up thinking about, okay, why would this guy pay $150,000 for this? What does it 
what he would do with it. And I started reading about this and asking people and I got into to understand how spam economy works and the phishing economy and all of those things. And I started reading about it and um, I said, you know what, let me, let me go deeper into that. So that was the first incident that really uh, opened my eye on the, on the value of data. I love that story. I mean, that is so, yeah. so long before the, the, the situation we're now GDPR and all these other things. Yeah, yeah, it's that. You, you yeah. could have done it, I would think at the time, without any um, legal ramifications. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't yeah. about legal. I think it was about ethics and, and morals. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I, I, I would not take the credit that I was, you know, I reached that conclusion by myself, but I think it's, um, it's the common sense, you know, if you just yeah. asked around and, and, uh, and do the right thing, you will know that it's, it's not yours to, to do anything with it. We have to respect the, the, uh, the trust that uh, the people, uh, you know, gave us uh, yeah. as the custodian of the, of the data. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? We should also give our listeners some context of where you are right now. You live in Qatar, right? In Qatar. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's and, true. Yeah. And so it's, it's uh, 1030 at night. So uh, extra yeah. points for you for, uh, for that. No, absolutely. Uh, no, thank you. Thanks a lot. So, so after that experience, and, and, uh, and so you were not finished with degree when that was going on? You were in the middle? No, I was in, uh, I was in the second uh, year of college. Yep. Uh, yeah. And then I, a few years later, I finished university and I took my first job uh, in an oil and gas company. Um, and and I, I will now use this to tell you the second uh, event that really changed my perspective into cyber. And I, I became very much interested in OT. So I consider myself very lucky to work in that company because it's um, it's one it's the largest LNG producer in, in Africa. Uh, it exports to Europe. I think the production that we have is at that time was really dedicated for two countries, mainly in Europe. And the, of course, it's a critical infrastructure. Uh, I was uh, IT support. I was not yet into cyber. I was just doing uh, Windows and maintenance and system admin and, you know, just took my MCSE degree from Microsoft Windows 2000 and I was like, you know, uh, rocking it and uh, just, you know, playing the game. And then one day we had an incident and uh, at that time, and it was um, uh, by mistake, one of the uh, operators, um, I think, brought uh, a removable hard disk from his home to play a video game or a game, PC game, in the night shift, because he was, of course, it's a very dull and boring session or, uh, you know, uh, event at night or shift. And then he, I think somehow the virus uh, spread and crippled the network, just slowed it down to, to a halt. And uh, that really stopped the, the production for about uh, eight hours. And of course, we came next day. I came to office next day. I, I found the ambassador of a European country coming to our facility and the CEO and everyone. And I was like, what, what's happening? What, why? I, okay, I get it. The CEO is here. I get the CEO is here. Okay, he's worried. The production is down. Okay, I understand. But, but why the ambassador of that country is here? Then... I was in the session and then they called me into a meeting. They told me to explain to the ambassador what happened as the IT guy. And um, so I told him this is what happened, one, two, three. And then I told him, can I ask you a question? What is, what is that of a concern to you? And he said, you know what? Your plant production is one third of our um, uh, annual energy uh, import. And if you guys are down by one day, I have a, a problem in my country. 
and I need to find uh, a more resilient supply chain. Because if you guys are down in the winter, uh, we're screwed. So I really thought about this very hard. And I said, okay, you know what? This means I'm, I'm not important only for me as a company. I'm important for everyone who depends on me. This can be a country. This can be another company. And cyber now, I, I remembered, okay, cyber used to have a financial revenue or value. And that was my incident number one. Uh, when in the back in university, now I can see that cyber have impact on lives, and and people you know people doing their their normal life. It can be hospital, it can be an airport, it can be uh, a school. They, all of those things will will be affected. And then I said, you know what? I, I really want to go into into OT cyber. I really want to understand it more and work on it more. So that was my second incident, and uh, that really shaped my my uh, my career. Yeah, and, we, and it was different. The first one was data, PII. Yeah, was, oh, wow, operations. I mean, and the real, yeah. you know, uh, the specter of real impact and, and how, how it could uh, affect not, you know, not a small number of people, a country and all of its downstream yeah. downstream clients and customers. So, yeah, that's, that's I could see that making a making a pretty, yeah. pretty big impact. And you're you're coming up on, I mean, I guess in a year, it'll be what, like 20 years of cybersecurity in total. Yeah, 2021. 20, yeah, and that was when, I, I, at that time, I think I think I would have I would be having like my second year of experience. So I was like two years as a professional. So that was more like eighteen years ago. Yeah. So uh, what what uh, what happens next? You know, where do you where do you go from there? Yeah. So I really started to even I was in IT. I started in IT in that company. Yeah. After that incident, I really started to to spend every minute I have in the plant. So I would leave my desk. I would go to the OT guys and just sit with them, listen to them, uh, see how they do the upgrades, how they talk with Emerson, how they talk with Yukogawa, how they talk with Schneider, how those guys set up the upgrades, how they lay down the cables, how they configure the systems and design it. Of course, at that time, no one thought of security. No, no one. And I am not going to kid you and tell you that I was thinking about security. No, I was not to tell them how to do security because I didn't know how. I was just there to learn how to do OT and what are the components of OT, how, how a plant is built and how, how an engineering process or a chemical process is translated into um, uh, a function, you know, with, with the logic and, and, the, and the ladder logic that translates this into, into an operational, um, operational process. And I, I understood how technology is going to, is changing that already. So I was there when they started this with proprietary technologies and protocols, and I, I can see how Windows and, and you know, standards that are known for us as IT guys are, is being, let's say, more pervasive in the OT year after year and becoming more, uh, you know, more digital in nature. Uh, and I started to see more relevancy for the situation that we will have at cyber now creeping into OT, saying, okay, now I, we always have problems with the, with the Windows setup and the, or, and the SQL and the, um, you know, the standard TCP protocols. Those guys will really suffer very soon from what we're already suffering from. I was having those chats and that said, you know what, let me, let me uh, choose this as a career because I do not think there's much, much competition yet for me. And if I can master that domain, I think I would be, uh, I would have a head start in the market. And I said, I would search and find any courses or any training or any material I can put my hands on to really understand how to secure such systems. And at that moment, I got 
another opportunity to be an expat, leave my country and work in, in a national cert. And um, maybe if you have a question for me at this moment, I can uh, answer that before I move to that uh, big milestone in my life as that's well. That's great, because that's what I was going to ask you ask you next about that, because I know you were you were there um, yeah. that's a big chunk of time. You, you know, you, you 10 years, for yeah, a while. It's been there 10 years. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think the only thing I would comment on is that you, you did a really nice description of a, of a how one becomes, I, I don't know if you know the, the, the term purple unicorn that sort of people are throwing yeah. around. Yes. Unicorns yeah. are rare. Finding somebody who really understands OT and cybersecurity and networking is a yeah. purple unicorn. They're even rarer. And you talked about it. And, and I think that's a, a lot of times what people are asking. You know, our community is made up of people coming from multiple discipline backgrounds. And so the person coming from IT, we, we there was somebody in the online event we had today saying, that's my background is IT and I yeah. want to move into this space. Here's some stuff I'm starting to do. What else can I do? And you, I loved your phrase. I just went and sat. I went as often as I could to yeah, the yeah. operational, you know, the the, the, the plant, uh, and, I, and I sat with people and I learned from them. Uh, that to me sounds like, you know, there's all these other things like certifications and all these other things and not making light of any of those. There's something practical yeah. about the way you described it. I just Absolutely. As often as I could. Absolutely. It's a, it's like, I, I'm, I'm calling myself a fortunate person. I'm, I'm, I was lucky to be in this situation that I had a plant just next, next door. You know, I just le left the HQ building, walked across the fence, go, went, go, went to the plant. And then it's a different world there, different language, different, up, you know, different priorities, uh, you know, availability and safety and all of those great things and go great ethos. And I was like, uh, I really want to understand how, how they work um, and the hard hat mindset. So I I spent every minute I have four years in this, um, finishing work, going there in the weekend, uh, even in my, in my own spare time, my lunch breaks, uh, coming early. I, I, I would not waste a chance to, to attend uh, any major event in the plant, uh, shutdowns, maintenance updates, offloading a cargo, all of this. I le learned from every single person I can. And I'm grateful for that opportunity. I was, um, I was, uh, it's, it was great fun for me, and uh, it really shaped my understanding. Uh, so it's really bizarre for me if someone is saying I am in, in an oil and gas company, but I sit in IT and I do not know OT. You are wasting a golden mine because you can immediately go to to your uh, fellow OT engineers and just uh, get closer to them, learn from them. It's much better than going to a course that can come later, maybe. Uh, but in the beginning, you you have that um, let's say tap to to pull from, or that you know can tap in those those knowledge, uh, or that knowledge and uh, really benefit from it. And, Omar, and that's that's a great example. Yeah. That that's the best example yeah. of of just how to just just do it. Don't overwork it. Yeah, yeah. Don't overthink Absolutely. it. Just do it. I think we can stop the interview. I mean, we, we you, you accomplished uh, everything you need to accomplish. No, no, that's that's <laughs> fine. And. Uh, I think the there's always this um, you know stigma that OT people are very far from IT people and they don't like each other and they don't like the the maybe it's partially true as well many many places but I think they always understand that they can use the help of an of an of an IT person uh, especially in in the deeper you go to the plant they really have a, a hidden or an inner fear about the digital you know ecosystem. They really don't understand that as well. They can see that if you are approaching them with, with the right attitude, that I really want to learn what you're doing and I will help you with as much as I can understanding how digital works. And it both work both ways. And they would be asking me, 
how to how to do things in in the in the how to manage the group permissions, how to set the right firewall rules, how to um, how to segregate the network in the right way. I think they didn't know that, and I knew this. Uh, so it was uh, you know a common. Uh, benefit, uh, or we exchanged the, the the learnings for the benefit of both of us. Uh, so it worked that way for me. Um, I hope it works for others that the it's same way. It's a two-way street. I love that. I mean, that's another good aspect of how you shared it. It's not a one-way thing. And there's some people out there that hold yeah. that hold this opinion. Like we, and I won't single out one of the t- types of teams. You know, we, yeah. we we got it all figured out over here. Don't touch. Don't come over here. Well, no, you yes. don't. You don't know everything about about cybersecurity and, and IT and networking. Uh, not sure. yet, most of you. But over here, like, do you know what safety, reliability, and resiliency even is? Do you, you know, and yeah. uh, and so it's. I love. It's a bridge, right? I mean, it's it's uh, absolutely. It's, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's uh, we we need to understand and accept the 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 you know the different backgrounds and definitely there's they can complement each other there's yeah. nothing to to be afraid that you know we're clashing or there's a conflict absolutely no the the interest is the same and if we all agree that the interest is the safety of everyone on on this company then we have a common goal you know even the IT folks in the, in an oil and gas company or an operational uh, facility they know safety they, they it's part of the you know of joining the company but we we really don't know what it means work unless you work on on that space or offshore and offshore grid or in a pipeline or whatever and once you really get closer to those guys and see the the um, the hardship that they go through you really understand the value of safety and why it's a, it's a concern and how to prevent this using your cyber knowledge gives you an extra motivation because it it becomes as if you i'm i'm helping everyone and it's not just about the money or about my 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 own uh, uh, career progression i'm actually doing a good thing i'm i'm actually i'm like the digital firefighter i'm a, i'm a good policeman I, I, it's a it's a it's a motivational some it's a motivational objective that you are trying to to put for yourself and it uh, you know pushes you uh, forward to learn more uh, at that time i got the uh, I got a chance to work in a national cert, and I was always reading about the certs and and how they get to see incidents and the help with incidents. Um, so um, I got the chance to join the uh, the Qatar national cert at that time, uh, Q cert. It's the first cert in the Middle East. Now every country has a, has its own cert. Uh, so uh, 16 years ago, that was the first one ever in the region. One of the first also in the world. It was. Uh, initiated by the help of uh, Carnegie Mellon University in, in the US, uh, CERT CC, Rich Pathy, I think he, he was the founder of, of CERTs globally, that's his own idea. Qatar was one of the earliest uh, to adapt that model. And I moved uh, and I took the, the role of critical infrastructure uh, head. So I I had the, 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 the fortune as well to support on many incidents and many attacks over 10 years. And really, again, that really helped me understand things from a different perspective. Yeah, I, I can only imagine the, the number of years you were there and it being uh, being the first one, the amount of lessons learned and exposure and just invention that would have been would have been required. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think I've been a, uh, an asset, uh, you know, asset um, asset owner. I, I worked in an oil and gas company, so I owned an asset. I had to protect the asset. Now I moved to to become some sort of a regulator. We develop the national standards for OT and we help companies 
comply and we help them mitigate incidents and talk with vendors and managers. So I've seen cyber from a different angle. And when I used to support the teams that write, write the standards and write it with them, I always remember how this will be applied because I worked on that other side. And I tell them, guys, this might work, this might not work. Yeah. Uh, we need to change it to make it practical. And if we write it that way, it would be more more easier for them. That's more than that critical of the, bridge building. Without the previous yes. experience, that can't happen. Absolutely, context, absolutely. You had context, and, and, and that, that's that's huge. And yes, so it really helped us. Which all regulation or standard writers, and some do, but they wish all yes. of them had, had more of that sort of uh, framework. Absolutely. I, I think uh, I was, again, I think um, lucky in that, in that move, because w when I was giving that uh, you know, responsibility. I'm grateful for, for QSER to tr trust me with this. I really put that hat on. What would be the articles or the controls that would be practical to use and would be um, maybe maybe contributing to, to, to the safety agenda? Because I found that if things are written from pure cyber agenda, they will not have the best support in the company's, um, in the company's hierarchy. But if we always link everything to cyber, uh, you will, you know, overcome two main hurdles. If you link your cybersecurity program into safety or with safety, you will get two ticks. The tick number one would be the OEMs. Second tick would be the management of that of the company. Cyber is usually seen as a cost center. Safe safety is not. Safety is not is is the indisputed king of engineering of, of, of OT. So if we if we associate or attach the cyber program to the safety program. Uh, management will have to support you and the vendors will have to support you as well. Um, when I was going through the contracts uh, at that time of and the obligations of vendors, uh, I think at least in our region, I don't know about the US, but since the 70s until maybe the last few years, every single contract in the oil and gas, in the utility space in the region had a safety clause, an obligation on the vendor, on the OEM to protect and enhance safety and consider safety as part of their uh, design and their concept. There's zero controls or con or context about cyber. There's no mention of cyber, but there's always a section on safety. And we always knew that that the OEM sometimes, especially in a few years back, were not really keen on investing in cyber and, and fixing things on their own cost or as part of the contract or as part of the maintenance or the warranty agreement because it's an extra cost for them. Why would they do it? If your program is saying, I'm doing this to enhance safety and I can show it to them, this is my risk assessment, I'm using hazard method, I'm using this, 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 and if I'm losing that sill level or the safety level in my assets, you are violating your contract. They will help you by, 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 the, by the book. And the management will support your program more because it's now a KPI that they are all accounted for, which is the safety KPI. And I think uh, we really hammered that that uh, you know that argument in the first few years, and really helped us to gain a lot of traction and overcome many of the usual obstacles uh, any uh, security program would uh, would face in the first few years. Yeah, I more you know more great advice. Safety culture is embedded. It's it's long developed. It took time. Yeah. It did. It wasn't there, and there were injuries and all these sorts of things. And then you know the the absolutely. The, Ship led, and it became it became part of industry. It became a, a safety culture. I've always liked people who sort of done linkages to that and said, "What can we borrow or emulate from how safety culture is built to build a 
a cybersecurity culture yeah. and you're what you're proposing sort of you know find that find that connect our annual report uh you know we asked people to show the reason why their motivation for their cyber program and number one was their their team's safety number two yeah, yeah. was their community safety and then things were like intellectual property and, and runtime operational runtime you know that's costly to go down but the first two winners, uh, you know, statistical winners from big global survey were two safety safety responses. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think it's logical and it makes uh, perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. Any any stories from your you know nearly sort of decade at the? Well, at the uh, yeah, I can maybe a few maybe without mentioning names, but a couple yeah. of incidents. So there was an incident um, that really destroyed hard disks. You know, it wiped hard disks uh, that happened around 2012. Uh, very famous if you if you are in in that domain and you might figure it out and it happened in in major oil and gas in a neighboring country uh, maybe the one of the largest globally if not the largest it happened on a weekend i remember it was a saturday it was a aid vacation which is you know um, a holiday in the region and the timing of course was well uh, well well uh, planned and then we i think two two days later it it affected a company in 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 Qatar. Same behavior, everything wiped. Thousands of hard disks wiped uh, overnight. You know, you just come in the morning, nothing's working. Everything is 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 deleted. And we had to, as a cert, we had to coordinate this. So we had to talk to the 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 other uh, company that witnessed this two days earlier in the in the in the neighboring country, and we. We were checking notes with them. You know, is this what happened, you guys? What is this the behavior of the malware? Is this is the code you're seeing? Uh, this is the IOCs you're picking up, and we can see that the following. We can see that in the first hit, uh, it really didn't work on Windows 64-bit systems. It only worked on 32-bit systems. But the bad guys who initiated the first attack. Uh, on country A, noticed that their malware didn't work in 64. So in the second attempt, two days later, they fixed it. It was a bug in their code. So they fixed the bug. And in our case, which is country B, it works on 64-bit and 32-bit systems. So they fixed it in in, in, two, in 48 hours. And then they found in the first in country A, it, uh, it was detected by a specific antivirus and was not detected by another antivirus. In our case, in our version, which is just 48 hours later, they managed to bypass both antiviruses. So I think it really taught me that they are just not hitting and running. You know, they, they run the virus, they see how it works, did it achieve the objective or not, showing some buggy behavior. It's let's enhance the product, let's take it to the next level, let's work on it. They are not lazy. And and the knowledge I, we have seen in this malware, it's a teamwork. It's no way one person, at least six people uh, with different knowledge and different uh, backgrounds. And really, again, that taught me a lot about what we're up against uh, as the good guys. And it taught me something else as well. If you are a company and you are a target for a national, for a state-sponsored attack, I came up with a term myself, For I always say that to myself, which is state-sponsored attacks require state-sponsored defenses. You cannot defend yourself by yourself as a company against a national or a state-sponsored attack. You, it's a lost battle. I'm a football fan. It's like playing versus Brazil. You will lose. You will lose seven nil. You know, it's there's no chance. The score so, won't, won't be good. The score, yeah, it won't balance. It, your your resources, your knowledge, your um, budget, yeah. everything is is yeah. not going for it. And 
to really be secure or enhance security, you need to do your job as a company, of course, but also you need to be in an ecosystem that protects you. Um, the supply chain is important. The national deterrence is important. Uh, the country should have um, the cyber capability uh, to, to give you some early warnings and to support you in case there's something like that that happened. So instant national incident response, national threat intelligence, national threat feeds, sector-specific knowledge, forums or and communities such as like the one you're, you're uh, graciously hosting and organizing. Uh, all of those things contribute. If you are in silo and you're by yourself, you would definitely be the weakest link in all of this. You will be picked up upon and you will not be able to to withstand all of that uh, huge, uh, you know, challenge by yourself, it's uh, it's not going to happen. Ah, well, that that also rings. It's uh, it's, it's quite quite true, quite practical, and yeah, those years at the at the QSER probably gave you a unique perspective yeah. to any customer. It's a it's a chess game, right? I mean, it, it, we know insiders Absolutely. is probably. I mean, according to our annual survey, the number one threat factor, and some of that's low hanging fruit, identity access, control management things. But you start talking about yeah. nation states, and yeah, it's it's a game you don't you don't play by uh, by yourself. That makes sense. That rings true to me. Just just the sophistication, and we know there's great coordination, like you talked about team composition on the adversary side. But there's even coordination between groups and things and, and financial support flowing to different groups. But we certainly have to work, you know, and I think this is sort of true to our mission at CSA, at least to do our our part. You know, it's a multifaceted thing. And how do we work well together on our side? And, and you know, the certs are part of that too. I mean, that's that's part of going way back. I my first cybersecurity company started in 1997. We were traveling, we were only a couple of hours from Pittsburgh, yeah. and so we were going over to Carnegie Mellon in those early years. Uh, with our startup, uh, you know, talking to them. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was something interesting and very different that was going on in the space. And now, you know, information sharing and there's 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 still progress to be made, but there's obviously a lot more of that going on. Our adversaries are organized increasingly. We better absolutely. There, it's a it's a teamwork for them. It's a business. They take it very seriously. There's lots of money, lots of uh, geopolitical um, uh, influences over over yeah. those trends, especially the big ones. Um, you know, if, if an attack has like four four zero days, that, that's uh, that's at least half a million uh, of investment. Uh, you know, each zero day is about what thirty forty thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars in some cases, maybe more. Um, so if someone is is um, if you are uh, worthy enough for someone to spend on you four zero days, then then you are really you know, um, a big target, a prime target, and, and you re need uh, the attention of and the support of everyone. And it's a community effort. And just like you said, Derek, I totally support what you just said. We have to work together in the same way they are working together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, so um, long run at QCERT, um, and you're you're still in Qatar today. Uh, yes, but yes. You made a, you made a move. Um, Another yeah, long, to, I mean, to consulting. Eight years at, at yeah, years. seven, seven years. Yes, seven, eight years. So um, I spent there almost nine years or 10 years in the cert. And, and then I said, you know what, I have now worked as an asset owner. I've worked as a regulator. Let me work as a consultant to see the cyber domain from the third and last uh, angle. Yeah. Um, uh, so I've been around the table now. Um, and I said, okay, now let me try to help others by mixing what I've learned from, from the field and what I've learned as an asset owner as well. So I, I think that positioned me to, to give a good advice. I tried my best to, to offer good advice to others. And uh, based on, on, on those two, let's say, perspectives that I've managed to build over time, 
And when this opportunity came to to join a, a consulting company like EY, I I I, um, I took it uh, quickly. And then I was I told them at that time I will I want to build an OT team. At that time, eight years ago, it was maybe only two regions in 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 our firm in EY that had that team. So we had a team in the US, we had a team in Europe, but we didn't have a team in in the, in our part of the world. So I said I want to build that team, and I was staff number one for, for that team. Now we are a very big team, uh, more than 20 people in Africa, India, and Middle East. We call it the AIM region. And over the years, we built um, we built a lot of, um, of knowledge, experience, and we leverage, of course, our from our colleagues in, in, the, in the States and, and, in, and in Europe. Um, we, we added the local flavor, the local challenges, the local regulations, and we brought that into and the local risks as well, because I, I also I also see and observe something. Um, if you look at the most famous cyber attacks in OT, uh, Stuxnet, Chamoon, uh, Dooku, Black Energy, Flame, many many all of them, all the big uh, you know the superstars, the superstar malwares, uh, they have few things in common, and one of the few things in common is that. The, it's the Middle East. They have all been active in the Middle East, one way or another. Very few of them hit Japan or Australia or Argentina or Finland. It's always in this hot region. It's hot at the you know weather level, and it's also hot from from the uh, technical level. And and I think that means either we're the weakest link in the global supply chain, and it's an easier target as a region, or because there's so many geopolitical forces at play, it's a prime field. For, for that for those conflicts and uh, I said you know what if if we're going to build an OT team this is the best place to to be, to be exposed to such things so we are up against the toughest guys every day uh, our clients are getting the biggest hits uh, they are always under the biggest threats uh, so they need the best help and we need to help them uh, in not not in anywhere else this is the place to be so I think the, the management supported me with this uh, concept and we really invested and we built uh, that team. And uh, we're very proud of what we have made so far. And uh, you know, it's, it, it, there's probably a lot of stories there, but I think the one to pluck out is how do you get ready uh, and what are the ramifications that one thinks about when holding a World Cup? Yeah, I think uh, it's not a secret, but um, uh, just before, once once the World Cup was, uh, you know, allocated uh, to Qatar, the and the public news, they they went and and chat with the Russians because Russians were the previous World Cup hosts. It was 2018 Russia, 2022 in Qatar. So usually it's up every four years, and usually every new host checks with the old host uh, how it was done, any lessons learned, any and the FIFA as well. You know, they 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 make the lessons learned, you know, they documented and they give this huge file to the next host, you know, here you go, this is your homework for the next four years, try to beat this up and, uh, you know, uh, take it to the next level. That's how they do it. So the previous hosts told them your biggest threat would be cyber and you really need to protect the event because it's not just for the World Cup. I think any major event now is, is more digital than the previous event uh, because of, you know, the advancements in, in the world we're living in. This event in Qatar, there was hundreds of digital services that the uh, normal spectator or fan would would go through. From you know the visa is electronic. You can you you, you buy your ticket online. You it's um uh, you as you approach the stadium, your ticket gets activated by Bluetooth uh, on your phone. 
you you have your seat allocated electronically you can use your phone in the stadium to uh, talk with augmented reality that was the first time launched here uh, to track and, and see the players on the field in real life but if you put your phone in front of your face you could see the statistics live on the field uh, you can track the movements you can uh, you know pro pull the profile of every player and his picture and where his date of birth and many many digital services that are moving into big events and i think the the next one in the us i guess you guys you're hosting the next one so i'm sure there will be huge advancements and you you only need to protect this cyber wise in order to ensure a safe event uh, millions of passengers you know with the airport rail and we discussed about it in the previous session uh, how to secure the rail um, seaport, uh, tourism, medical uh, records. Yeah, when we talked, you're talking about the, the ways people had to move around. How many people were yeah, we talking yeah. about? What was the what was the uh, impact? I think it was around two around around two and a half million uh, people, two and a half million in in a very small country in a in a very small period of time, just three four weeks. That's a, that's a lot of traffic. So just and transportation the, infrastructure alone, let alone like you that, said. Many, yes, many, many things. Uh, alone, big impact. Big, huge impact. And if people get sick and, uh, you know, every every person had a, a fan ID and it's a digital ID. This ID have every has a lot of personal information about that guest. So it has the passport details, medical conditions, um, nationality, age, date of birth, age, uh, um, maybe where he's staying, uh, many information. A phone number, credit card, some in some cases, uh, and that ID is your is your golden pass to many things. You can ride the metro with it. You can, um, you know, enter the stadium. You can, you have an emergency. The police can identify you, you through that uh, digital ID. So everything is is connected, and it's uh, really a digital event. And to secure it, we had to develop a national standard for cyber to elevate the level of cyber across the whole country, across all sectors, including the critical infrastructure. And we worked on that uh, with the government. And uh, I, I think we uh, everyone did a great job. Yeah, as we're sort of winding up, any particular um, one thing you would share, lesson learned or aha or discovery that that process, um, you know, that you would think uh, I think I think what we, our aha moment, it was definitely that it's the people agenda or the people element of cyber. It's not really, it's not about technology. It's not about the policies or procedures. It's about the good day-to-day -day behavior of your staff. It takes away 80% of the problems if everyone is doing the right thing. And we found that if they have been given uh, or if people are giving um, a national objective, such as the World Cup, uh, a national, let's say, uh, you know, rallying cry or or a motivation such as this. Everyone really jumps onto this, and they want to contribute to the success of such an event, which became for a country like Qatar, which is a small country, a national pride. We have to make this work. We have to be the first successful Arab country who do uh, such an event. So uh, it was a moment of national pride. Everyone did his best to to represent the region the best way possible. Uh, the Qataris did a fantastic job, uh, you know, investing and really taking this very seriously. And once once with that feeling got to every single person, um, we started to see good behaviors. Uh, you know, people reporting phishing, people reporting spams, people, um, you know, coming up saying, "I'm seeing this traffic." Uh, what to do with this. 
usually those were quiet people. Now they were not quiet anymore. They were coming up and stepping up and, you know, doing the right things and really and sharing knowledge. I, we found companies that donated uh, information security content and, and knowledge sessions and awareness products with, with, the, with the sector. So, you know, they were doing it because it's, um, it was a national, uh, national uh, contribution and they saw it from, from that angle. Yeah, what a, what a uh, huge undertaking. Well, so yeah. all these years and all these experiences, anything uh, anything you would tell the younger 20 years ago, Omar Sharin, if you were sitting down across the table from yourself, what, what advice would you give uh, yourself? Uh, I think for the young people, uh, um, definitely cyber is the, is, the, is the right career. Definitely for the next, I think, maybe, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 years. It's really going to be, and it is really a hot topic, it will not fade away any anytime soon. We are, according to the statistics, I believe we are down by four million security professionals. I mean, the market needs four four million professionals more than what we have. So definitely, there's a gap in the market. The cyber domain is increasing dramatically in terms of breadth and in the in the subdomains that you have and you can pursue there. So definitely, it's it's the right way to to go. Whether it's cloud, whether it's OT, whether it's uh, machine learning, whether it's artificial intelligence and, and, and the impact of, of machine learning and artificial intelligence and how it will influence cyber going forward. We're, we're all aware of the, the new advancements in, in ChatGPT and open chat and open AI and all of those things. But now we can see artificially generated malware and code. You really can do this now. You can, you can design you know, really malicious things very sophisticated with very little knowledge. And on the other side, you can ask such platforms to develop a comprehensive OT cyber framework. They can develop something for you. Um, how good is that? We need to say, and we need to see it and check it, but many things are changing uh, around us We're in the bad side and the good side. And this is definitely the right moment to, 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 you know, to pursue that as a career. There's a lot of opportunities out there for us. I couldn't agree with you more. It's a, it's a golden opportunity. I, when I speak to student groups, that's what I always say, look, if this area interests you, if it doesn't interest you, don't do it because it's a good career yeah. path. But if you're STEM oriented and and you like uh, technology, there's no, you know, there's no end in sight, there's right? A, We're still connected. And there's no dull moment. Every day there's a new, new attack, new, new threat. So it keeps you engaged and uh, and thrilled. And, and and we're not. It's not like we're solving a uh, a fixed problem. The number of attack surfaces, yes. the number of connected devices, Absolutely. is also growing exponentially. Absolutely. So we don't have enough people. And oh, by the way, let's change the let's change the playground and make it larger all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, now it comes to my uh, favorite time of the show, although not favorite in that I'm, I'm, I'm you know, not going to get to keep talking with you, Omar. But uh, I do like to end with something uh, sort of fun. And, and we've heard from people that they enjoy it. So if you're up for the Pivot questionnaire, uh, I'll take you through this. Absolutely. Let's go. Okay. So I borrowed this from a, inside the, a show called Inside the Actor's Studio. It may still be running. I should know this. It ran for many, many years. The host for, for decades was James Lipton. And he was the, the dean of an acting school in New York. And he would end his interviews with all the famous, the most famous actors and actresses uh, would be on that stage. He would end with this same questionnaire that he got from a French show, hence the name Pavot Questionnaire. And so I have not altered it at all. And sort of a nod to that show, which I always enjoyed. I'll ask you the same same 10 questions. Let's go. Ready. All right. What is your favorite word? Uh, yes. What is your least favorite word? Uh, maybe. 
What turns you on, either creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? I think um, seeing a new cyber attack. <laughs> what turns you off? Failing to understand how it worked. What is your favorite curse word? Uh, it would be in Arabic, and it were rock your world, so I, I prefer not to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What sound or noise do you love? Uh, rain, like the sound of rain. What sound or noise do you hate? Yelling or crying. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, I would say firefighting and maybe uh, a professional football player. What profession would you like to not do? Belly dancing. <laughs> and the last question, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive? Welcome. I don't know. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> All right. I am just wrapping up with Omar Sharin, partner at Ernst & Young, digital solutions, cybersecurity, OT practice leader uh, in the, uh, in the uh, uh, North, North Africa, uh, Middle East region and uh, just a great contributor to the community uh, and many other other things you guys, you've done that we didn't need to get into, but I know you've, you've involved in standards and you've been involved with the certs and, and, uh, and, and been in the United States collaborating on things or collaborating with US parties and uh, um, ICSJWG, I know you contribute to that. Just a lot of things um, and thank you for your, for your long-time contributions to not just your region, but the world and, uh, and, and this year contributing in multiple ways to, uh, to our associations. Uh, Thanks yeah. a lot, Derek, for uh, for that opportunity and for having me. It was uh, great uh, having this chat with you, and I really admire what you're trying to do here. Thanks, Omar. Take care. Thank Good. you.